Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. I'm Tim. Good to be together. What a beautiful autumn day we had last night, huh? It was very nice to see a break in the temperature, and I'm glad that you could be with us this morning. Um, for ending a series this week called First, uh, we've been looking at how to put God first in our life and what's it mean for God to be first in our life. You know, God expects to be first. In fact, He requires it. If you have your notes, you can pull them out or look up there on the screen. And notice what the Bible says in Exodus. This is when God's people were coming out of Egypt. One of the first things that was said to them was, do not worship any God except me. I think some of the translations say, have no other gods before me. And some people have thought, okay, so as long as God is first, that's what this is meaning. But that word, the Hebrew word behind the word except or before me doesn't necessarily mean the top God of all your gods. No, it's it's actually meaning literally meaning that God isn't the top God on my list, but is the only God on my list. And that's a big difference there. He says, I don't, in fact, the the Hebrew literal word for this word except or before means don't have any gods in front of my face. It'd be kind of like if you were married and you had someone on the side and you brought them home. What marriage would, would deal with that? What marriage would tolerate that? You wouldn't want that at all. So so uh, it's true with God. Look what the Bible says here, just two verses down from Exodus 20, verse 3. Look what verse 5 says. Don't bow down and worship idols. I am the Lord your God, and I demand all your love. Would you circle that, demand all your love? Look at that. God says, I don't want to be just a God or the first on the list. I want to be the only God you have, and I want to have all your love. I don't want to share... I don't want to be shared with another God or another interest or another love. I want all your love. In fact, he goes on to say, if you reject me, I'll punish your families for three or four generations. Man, sounds serious, doesn't it? I'll get you and your kids and your kids' kids if you don't love me with all your heart. See, God wants all the love in my heart, and he wants to be the only God in my life. I don't remember the guy. I just remember watching Access TV uh, when they had a free preview and they had their UFC fights on there or their ultimate fighting people. I don't even know the ultimate fighter's name. I don't remember his name, but I remember what he said. They were asking him. This woman was interviewing him and said, are you ready for tonight? He goes, I am ready. I'm going to win this fight. You sound so confident. How come you're so confident? Because I've been true to my girl. And she's like, huh? I've been true. See, my girl knows when I'm cheating on her. My girl knows if I'm not done all my setups or if I'm not eating right. She knows if I've busted curfew. And see, the girl he's referring to is discipline. He said, man, she's a jealous girl. And if I cheat on her once, she made it clear to me one time. She said, You cheat on me once, and I'll make you look awful in that octagon. I will turn on you, and you are going to lose big. You're going to get your thing kicked all over the place. And I thought, wow, that shows you. He kind of captured the idea of what's first in his life, and what's important in his life is that he trained well. And because of that, he was confident. He knew, and by the way, he destroyed the guy that he fought that night. That's what we're talking about when we say when God is first. Because we serve, the Bible says, a jealous God. He demands first place. 
Now, is this easy? I mean, if we were honest, is it easy to put God first in everything, to love Him with all of our heart and love nothing else like we do God? I don't think it is. Why is it? Why is it so difficult at times? One word, competition. There's competition. I was doing reading all these quotes on competition, and they complement competition. All these people in sports and, and, and in different business uh, areas of life, they say things like, man, competition brings out the best in you. Or it's good to have competition. You know, if you don't have competition, then it, nothing significant will happen. And I get that. But there's times when competition keeps me from first place. I mean, think about it. I remember as a kid, way back when I was in kindergarten, we had a thing called Play Day. I don't know if any schools ever do this anymore. But they're the last week of school, the last day of school. We had sack races, 100-yard dashes, tug-of-war, throwing stuff, how far somebody could throw something or jump. You know, all the, and they had first, second, and third, and fourth place ribbons. And ribbons were only like an inch wide, about this tall. And I remember lining up with all these kids, all these other grade school kids that were in, they were close to my age. Some of them were older, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna win this thing. I know I am. Pow! Mr. Keezer, our, that was his name. Can you believe that? That's the name of our principal is Mr. Keezer. Keezer the Weezer is what we call it. So, so he, he, pow! He shoots the gun, and I take off, and I'm, I'm last. I mean, these guys are blowing me away. You know, when you have competition, it's hard to get first. When there's no competition, first is a cinch. And see, that's what I want to see is today is that there are some things that compete with you and I for God's love. And the Bible calls them idols. They're idols. Now, I know you might have this idea of what an idol is, but bear with me, I think we're going to figure out idol an idol is more than some stone object. Okay? But look at this passage here in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul warns, he warns and encourages the Christians at Corinth with these words. Therefore, my dear beloved, shun, and this is the Amplified Bible, it says shun, in other words, keep clear away from, avoid by flight if need be, says run from it, in other words. Shun any sort of idolatry and then he goes on to explain of loving or venerating anything more than God. I looked up that word venerating because I've never heard of that word. Okay, that's a new word to me. It means to adore something. It means to honor, to worship, to idolize. And here Paul's saying, you want to stay clear. You want to shun it. You want to avoid it. You want to stay clear of anything that would take God out of your life or His influence out of your life or His will out of your life even the slightest bit. You see, when I bring anything else into my heart, when I make anything and anyone my ultimate focus, guess what happens? It draws me away from the Lord. When I make it the love of my life, or her or him the love of my life, I run the risk of committing idolatry. And what idolatry is, is simply drawing me away from that intimate relationship, that first relationship with God. That's why in 1 John, look at it says here, my little children, guard yourselves against idols. Guard yourselves against idols. So how do I do that? You know, what, what steps can I take to guard against idols being a part of my life and stealing my love and stealing my focus and stealing my energy 
from God. Well, let me, let me give you four here that I think four steps that, that, that can help you. First, to guard myself against idolatry, I do that when I search my heart for personal idols. When I just get real and say, okay, what is the competition? What's the competition for my love for God? What's competing for my desire to do, to please God? What is, is pulling me away to, to want to please that or please that person? See, we tend to think we're too sophisticated for idol worship. You know, we're, we're not being fooled by that stone image or, or, you know, shrine. Uh, that's just, that's all, yeah, that's so barbaric and, you know, the natives do that. We're sophisticated. We're educated. I hear you. But see, uh, idols don't have to be made of stone. They don't have to be a statue. In fact, an idol is something that's in the heart, not on a mantle. It's in our hearts. Look at this. I've ran across this passage in, the, in Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel is dealing with idolatry in Israel. And look at the, look what God says to Ezekiel. He says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. Not on a mantle. Not on, not, not in their yard or on a shelf. You'll see all kinds of examples in the Old Testament of that. But really what's going on is, this, this thing, or this person, or this whatever it is, has become so important, it's set up shop in my heart. It becomes part of my focus. Too much of my focus. See, everybody has idols. You wonder if you've got one. You do. You've got them, I've got them. An idol can be anything or anyone. Sometimes the idols in my life have been to please somebody in particular. And I'm so focused on making sure I please them, I'm not even thinking about pleasing God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Or I've seen guys worship their cars. Now, I'm not into worshiping cars, but I'll tell you what, I love working on them. And that piece of metal, that car or that house, or even my family. I love my family. And I know everybody here, you love your family. And I'm not saying ignore your family. But sometimes family can become so important, the love of my life, that it pushes out the Lord and what He wants. How do you know? Whenever I have to choose between pleasing God and pleasing my family, if I tend to be about pleasing my family, it's become an idol in my life. Does that make any sense? It's amazing. I, I think about all kinds of things that could be an idol, things I think about more or cherish more or rely on more than the Lord. It could be recreation. It could be work. It could be the internet. It could be relationships, friendships, in other words. It could be excitement. Excitement could be an idol. Education could be an idol. It could be soda. It could be TV. It could be food, sports, family, reputation, health and fitness, politics. I know a lot of people are worshiping politics right now. They're into, into politics. They know more about what's wrong with Donald Trump and what's wrong with our government, what's wrong with Korea, what's wrong, but they don't know a flip about the Bible. Sex can be an idol. Been there. Done that. Do that. Beauty can be an idol. The approval of others can be an idol. Wealth. Wealth can be an idol. Now some of these things you're probably going, wait a minute, some of those are good things. Yes, some of them are very good for us. But we're not to let them run our lives. 
So we need to take a good look. Look at it. I found this passage in Lamentations. Let's take a good look at the way we're living and reorder our lives under God. He said, let's look at how we're living. Let's look at what matters to us and let's put it in its proper place. Reorder, reprioritize it under God as first. I was looking, maybe you could do this sometime. I did this. I, I wrote down idolatry, just put it in my Google, and I found a lot of websites that have the idolatry quiz. They give you questions as whether or not you, if this particular thing or person is an idol. I've got ten questions. Let me shoot them at you real quick. Here they are. What do I feel like I have to have to be happy? What do I think of in the middle of the night or when I first wake up in the morning? You know, for years, I had a person I thought of. It wasn't my wife. It was the person I was trying to please all the time. wonder what they're thinking of me. It was my first thought in the morning. Not Jesus. It took the daily Bible to cram that stinking thinking out of my head. What do you think about when you first get up in the middle of the night? Here's the third one. What do I pray for? What do I really pray for? Tim, that's spiritual. What are you talking about? What's wrong with prayers? You'd be surprised how many people are praying for an idol. It's really an idol. Next week... Alan's kicking off a series we're doing on the Lord's Prayer. This says, Lord, teach us to pray. And we're going to look at how did Jesus pray and how we as groups, as a group, as a church should pray. What should we really be praying for? You know, your prayers do reveal. They can reveal your idols. What areas do I experience my greatest struggles? Where do I find my greatest struggle? You're going to find it could be close to an idol. What do I escape to when I'm having a hard time? You know what I escape to? Movies. Amen. Amen. Yeah, movies. Okay. But I find myself TV and movies. When things get tough, I just hunker down, get in my man cave, and watch something I've recorded. And I've seen the big country a thousand times, but i got to see it one more time. You know, what do you escape to when you're having a hard time? Here, number six. What do people tell me that I spend too much time on? What does my family say? What do my friends say? What do people that know me say? You spend way too much time on that. It could be an idol. What do I hide from others? You know what we hide from people? Sacred stuff. Sacred to us. Think about it. You know I'm right. We, we, we hide our idols. What do I talk about too much? That could be an idol. What could I not live without? I've convinced my mind, I can't live without this. That could be an idol. And then this tenth one. What will I compromise my faith for? To get. What will I compromise my faith for? To keep. In other words... Not to please God. What will I compromise pleasing God for in order to be pleased personally or to please someone? Folks, that's an idol. So the first thing I do is I just need to search my heart for personal idols. I know you're all thinking, I wonder what my idol is. If you're not sure, ask your spouse. I'm sure they got some suggestions or a friend. And I'm not saying do it now because we got to move on here. Here's number two. Another way I can guard my heart, I guard it against idolatry when I'm convinced that my idols have to go. 
You want to guard your heart against idolatry? Don't negotiate with those idols. You can't. You'll lose every time. You know, let's, let's, let's just pretend for a minute. Here you are, you're married. And you discover there's been an affair. Your spouse has been unfaithful to you. And you're devastated. But you don't, you want to save the marriage, right? And so you go to a marriage counselor and you sit down and you just, both of you talk about, here's what's happened, here's, you know, what do we do? What do we do? We need some help. And the marriage counselor looks at you both in the eye and says, I'll tell you what you do. You need to go find a church, just the peace, and just do your marriage vows over again. And that'll solve it. How would you feel if that, if that, a marriage, you paid them a bunch of money and they tell you, here's how you solve that problem. You, you need to fair proof your marriage. Renew your vows. I don't know about, I know, I, I mean, some guys would probably say, oh, that sounds like a winner to me, you know. But I'll tell you what ladies would say. What? Are you crazy? I want to know who it is. I want their phone number. I want to know where they're going to be all the time. I want them to tell everything, tell, tell me everything about it. Why? Because I remember one time I was, I did, I was doing a couple, doing marriage counseling with a couple, and he was having an affair with a woman. And she said, I want her phone number. And he goes, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I go, yeah, you do. Come on. And he takes his phone out and he gives her the phone. Right in front of us, she calls this lady. I want you to stop seeing my husband. Wow, that's, that's a lot more than renewing vows, huh? It's something specific. It's something you do. You see, I know, listen, and I've, I know many of you, when you're filling out your cards, I want to stop this. Pray for me to help me work on this. Some of you may even say, pray for me to work on this idol in my life. And I want to say to you this morning, it's great that you have that desire, but it's got to be more than desire. It's got to be some kind of aggressive, radical step to deal with it. Because if you don't get rid of the idol, it's going to get rid of you. So I've got to be convinced that the the idols have to go. I was reading the Daily Bible today. If you haven't read your Daily Bible perfect passage that talks about idolatry and why Israel is losing, why Assyria comes in and takes Israel and will soon be taken. Babylonia will come and take Assyria and then take Judah, the rest of God's people, into captivity. And it it sums it up. Why is it happening? And Tom, we read this morning, the reason it's happening is because of idolatry. And 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 it was the verse I noticed too. They worshiped those worthless idols and became worthless themselves. But over and over again, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, over and over again it talks about this idea of idolatry. And God's people were constantly dealing with it. They weren't even out of Egypt very long and they made golden calves. They make this golden calf. And then when they get into the promised land, God warns them, you've got to deal with idolatry in this land. Your culture, if you're not careful, you've got to guard against your culture because your culture will lead you in to idolatry in some form. Look at this passage up on the screen in Deuteronomy 7. This is what you must do to those people. And look at the radical steps. Tear down their altars. Smash their holy pillars. Cut down the Asherah idols. And burn their idols in the fire. You are holy people who belong to the Lord your God. He's chosen you from all the people on earth to be His very own. What's God saying? I don't want you to be influenced by your culture. 
And folks, if we have, if you haven't figured it out, we have a culture that's constantly influencing us with idols. With idols. With things. With power. With popularity, position. People. And see, just like Israel, I look at Israel here, many times they failed to remove these idols and they left them in what the Bible calls high places. They left these shrines in certain high places. Some of them said they, they did what the Lord said, except they left some of the shrines and some of these idols in the high places. And guess what happened? Israel returned to idol worship because they didn't burn it. They didn't tear it down. They didn't cut it down. They didn't smash it to pieces. It's as if their casual approach made them relapse again and again. You know what I learned from this? You cannot negotiate with idols. You cannot, you can't, well, I'll taper off. I'll just taper off a cut back. You cannot have a casual approach to idols. Look what it says here in Colossians 3 verse 5. So put to death, would you circle that? Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing, circle that, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshipping the things of this world. So all these things that God's created in this world have become too important. They've somehow crowded God out of the way. And He says, you've got to put those to death. Now there are some, I know there are some idols, you, you can't, I want to show you in a second here. There are some idols, there's no wiggle room, you've got to get rid of them. And in order to do that, you know, you might have to do something really difficult, you may have to make a very tough decision. Look at here in Hebrews 12, what it encourages you and I to do. Let us run the race that is before us and never give up. We should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way. We should remove the sin that so easily catches us. He said, you've got to remove these things. You can't taper off. You can't trim back. It's not enough, guys, to, impers- to, to somehow identify my personal, personal idol. It's not enough to taper off or cut back. They've got to go. They've got to go. I think of the movie Old Yeller. Remember Old Yeller? Here, Yeller. Yip, yip, yip. Come back, Yeller. Best doggone dog in the West. And it was. What a dog, huh? Every boy. I mean, we, we love that dog. But every boy. I don't care. When my boys saw it when they were kids. When old Yeller got the rabies. And remember, he started salivating and foaming at the mouth. And, and you know, mom says, go get the gun. We're going to have to shoot old Yeller. Mom, we can't shoot Yeller. Don't you understand? That's my dog. We got it. He saved my life. Yeah, I know, but he's got the rabies. And we're going to have to shoot him. Remember? Fess Parker, the dad, he's out of town. Remember he walks out there with that big old Kentucky long rifle? And there's you know, old Yeller going, and you see the tears. And he's, it's hard to kill an idol. It's hard to kill something you're used to. It's been in your life for a long time. You know, everybody has their vices, I heard a preacher say one time. That's true, but that doesn't mean you just live with it. Finally, he pulls the trigger and kills the best doggone dog in the West. Hard? 
Yes, you have to make hard decisions sometimes. Sometimes it may be dropping cable. It may be ending a friendship or radically changing your diet or getting another job because this job just didn't cut in it. Maybe it's cutting up your credit card. I know in my life there was a time when I was into credit cards so much and he says, give it to me. Huh? Give me the credit card. We're bouncing checks all over town. It's embarrassing. I remember giving her my Discover card. I didn't have a card for a long time. You had to do something. We're going to, we're going to be in debt up to our eyeballs if we're not careful. Maybe you have to do something like that. Maybe, and no maybe about this, if you really want to deal with this idol, it means taking a hard decision and just being gutsy and saying, I'm going to be open and confess about this stuff to somebody and I'm going to get some accountability in my life. Some real accountability. I mean, just ask yourself, what is it that's keeping you from having this great life in Christ? What's holding you back from growing and changing? I mean, if you're honest, what really needs to go? What is it that, you know, man, I need to quit talking about it. I need to do some, take some serious action steps to deal with it. I know somebody here this morning needs to hear what I'm about to say. And that's this. Isn't it time to once and for all deal with that thing? Hmm? It is, isn't it? I mean, it's time to take a serious step to get rid of it. Why? Because you can't negotiate with idols. Now, with that said, the third way and the third step you can take is this, and that's dedicate all I have to God's glory. If I want to prevent idol worship in my life and idolatry, there's some things that are good you can't get rid of. I can't get rid of my kids. You know, you said get rid of my idols. Well, my kids are my idols, so I guess I'll just sell them off. No, I'm not going to do that. You're not going to sell them on Facebook. Was it? Yeah. Marketplace. I got two kids here. Anybody want them? Well, that's funny. I got two others, so let's put them together. Maybe we can get a deal, you know. No, you can't, you can't, you say, well, I gotta live somewhere. You gotta have a home. And, 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 you know, you're gonna have a car. And you're gonna have some money. And you're gonna have a job. But you just said you can't negotiate. So I'm quitting my job, burning the house down, driving the car off on a cliff and selling my kids. I'm not saying that. Bible doesn't say that. I have an addiction. That needs to go. Yeah, there's, there's no way to, how do you dedicate that to God? Well, I'll tell you how you dedicate it to God. You dedicate it to God by letting Him know if you overcome it, then using it to help somebody else. But a lot of the stuff that you and I, that, that's competing against our love for God are things on this earth that God made for us to enjoy. Right? That just makes sense. It makes sense to me too. So how do I over, make sure that this idol doesn't take over or have too much influence in my life to where I'm beginning to make decisions based on what's gonna, what's gonna cost me with this rather than what's gonna cost me with the Lord? I dedicate, I dedicate it to God. I may not be, listen, I may not be able to purge an idol, some of these, but I can change the purpose of that idol. I can change the status of that idol from no longer are you going to be so important to me. We're going to bring it down where it belongs under the rulership of God. Look at this in Romans 1. Talking about 
people that are just giving themselves over to God and their their lives are going downhill. It says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. What do I notice here? My possessions can have incredible power over me. Other people can have created things. People, possessions. Things of this earth can have incredible power over my life. And when that does, when it has this kind of power, I lose my way. It pulls me away from God. It pulls me away from His truth. And I buy into the lies. And what are you talking about? What lies are you talking about? Lies like this. Lies that say things like this. This will make me happy. This is the answer to my happiness. I deserve to be happy. These are lies. I can't live without this. Like Anakin Skywalker. I can't breathe. You're doing just fine. Or I need this. You don't understand. I gotta have this. I need this. It's a lie. This thing. This created thing. So what do I do with these created things in my life, Tim? I dedicate them to God. See, when you do this, you take away the power of things over you. And you start using them with God's power in mind. What are you talking about? Well, for example, generosity. When we're generous, it breaks this idol of greed and materialism in our life. When we're willing to let go and share things with people, yes, you can borrow that. Yes, you can have that. Or I'm just going to get rid of that. Some of you let go of money and let go of things in order to participate in a special contribution. Did it kill you? It didn't kill you, did it? Actually, it was kind of cool. Uh, serving. If I serve, I serve others, serve in ministry, it breaks the power of the idol of selfishness. I'm not so self-absorbed in my little world. I think of others. It breaks the power of that. Using my status for godly influence breaks the power of pride and popularity. God's put me in this position like Esther for such a time as this. So He's put me here at this place to work. Or He's put me in this situation, this parking lot, and I see some. God's put me here to use. So instead of using my status or my position in life for myself, I'm going to use it for others. And it Listen, folks, it breaks the power of pride and popularity. And using my hobbies and interests and my talents to help people, to meet people, to know people, it breaks the power of the idol of self-indulgence. I mean, why God make you talented as you are? Just to use it for you? He wants you to use it with others. And so what I do is I take something that's competing for my love for God, my love toward God, I go, you know what? I just need to be honest and go, you know what? You're not the most important thing. You're going to be under the rulership of God. Look at the Bible says in Romans 11. For everything comes from God alone. Everything lives by His power. And everything is for His glory. To Him be glory evermore. Everything. All these created things are to bring glory to God. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 10 there, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. What do you say? Whatever you've got, whatever is in your life, Don't let it compete against your love for the Lord. Instead, channel it. Use it. Repurpose it. My house, all of a sudden now, has a different purpose than just being my own personal staycation. My place to escape. 
I let people live in my home. I, I open up my home with hospitality, entertain people. My car is not just for me to get back and forth to work and for me to go here and there, but I'll actually use it to help others. I can do that. I'll share it. My job is not just about putting in auto glass and that's it. But there's a much bigger, broader thing there. There's a spiritual matter here to consider. And I need to keep my eyes open for those moments. And my leisure, even my leisure, my me time, no longer is my me time. God's involved in this now. And He could interrupt my vacation with something. Or I can use my leisure to relax with someone else and, and not make it so all about me. Now, I'm not saying you can't do something by yourself or you can't drive your car by... You know, do I have to have somebody? I have to pick up every hitchhiker? I'm like, why are you trying to complicate this? Why do we try to complicate this? It's simply saying, I'm going to dedicate the things that I have to the Lord. And when I do that, when I loosen the grip I have on my things, somehow their grip on me is loosened as well. And my heart, my love gets tighter and my grip on God gets better. So I dedicate all the things I have to God. So let's see here. I identify. I get rid of it. Some of these idols, I just say, you know what? You're no longer going to be important to me. They're important to God. I'm going to use them the way God would want them. And the fourth thing is, I can guard against idolatry is when I make it clear who is the Lord of my life. Denise and I got engaged. We're going to be in October or in August. We'll have been we'll been married 40 years, which is mind-boggling for me. Okay, Um, but we and we but we dated we dated for four. We got engaged, and she was going to college at Eastern Illinois University, and I was still staying at Mount Carmel. And she told me of a story. I'd like to believe it's true. She said a young guy, young fellow, walked up to her while she's studying. Hey man, kind of flirts a little bit. What you doing? What's going on? And she says, and Tim, I went, oh, I remember hearing this. And I go, really? What'd you do? She goes, I just put my hand up and I engaged. Said, sorry, pal. Taken. You're too late. And I thought, because I, you know, hey man, I mean, look at me. Yeah, don't look at me. Don't look. I'm hideous. I'm hideous. But it was, she made it clear. She made it clear. I, every wedding I do, I'll say that wedding ring you put on says to your, your, your mom and dad, you're making a new home. Independent of them, you're making your very own home. And parents should respect. Listen, as parents, we should respect our kids' privacy. Let them have their own home. Not barge in all the time on them, okay? But, but we're saying that with that ring. We're saying to each other that I love you with the endless love, you know. This love, I'll say that, you know, and, and I'll go, okay, yeah, I get that. But you know what you say to everybody else? I have somebody that loves me above you. I've been taken. And there's no room for anyone else. Look at Isaiah 40 here. Look at this. I love this passage. So is the message. So who even comes close to being like God? To whom or what can you compare him? So no God idols? Ridiculous. Isn't that something? No one deserves my love, all my love like the Lord. Why? Because there's no one or nothing that compares to Him. All the food I can eat doesn't compare to Him. All the money I make in my lifetime doesn't compare to Him. All the plans that I have won't compare to Him. All the friendships you and I form aren't going to come close to God. Even the family I have, and I have a blessed family. I love my family. But God, there's no comparison. Really, when you stop and think about it, there's no comparison. And all the pleasures I experience... 
all the fun I've had on this earth. Don't compare to the God I serve, to the God you serve. And even the greatest cause on this earth, whether it's saving the whales or saving the planet or saving the United States, whatever it be you call to, let me tell you, there's no purpose. Nothing compares to God and His purpose and His love. They all fall miles short. You understand what I'm saying? They all fall miles short of the love of God that you and I get to experience and can experience. In fact, look what it says here in 1 Samuel. Idols are of no use, so don't worship them. They can't help you. They can't save you. They're useless. I have a saying, a farm, we used to say, I can't say it in public, but they're useless. They're useless, he says. What do you say? They can't save you. They can't help you. And I think, but my God can save me. My God can help me. And my God can save you. And my God can help you. But an idol, a car, a house? Oh, if I had this, I'd be happy. Really? You think that's going to help you? So I shouldn't have any kind of ambition? No, I'm not saying that. If you're going after a house, going after a car, going after a job, use it for the glory of God. But remember, there's nothing. As you're using all of our stuff, nothing compares to this Almighty God. How do I respond to this amazing love with my love? that's so clear, that sets Him apart so much that He's not just God, He's the only God. My only true love. 1 Peter 3 says, But in your hearts set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging Him, giving Him first place in your lives as Lord. He says, in your hearts, that's where the idols are, you set apart Christ as Lord. Make Christ... Lord of your life, let Him have that special place. And that place is all of your heart, not a section. All of it. Isaiah 8. Look how Isaiah says it. You are to regard only the Lord of hosts as holy. Only He should be feared. Only He should be held in awe. See, the real acid test, folks, of where God stands is how much do I love Him compared to everything else? I heard one guy, or read one guy say this week, his point was, we just need to love God more. That's a simple way to say it. Yeah, love God the most. But I want to say, love Him with everything you got. Why? Because then it's crystal clear to all the idols. You know, I had a couple one time, they were, they were being immoral. And they come to me, Tim, what do we do? I can't stay out, I can't stay out of her house. I go over to her house. I stay all night. We sleep together. I, I hate it. What do I do? I said, well, you got three choices. Three? I said, yeah. You either, one, keep doing it. Two, stop. Or three, get married. I said, it's funny. God gives you two good options. The devil only gives you, keep doing it. God can't be outdone, see? So he decides to get married. I said, now here's what you're going to discover. This is number one or two in your life. It becomes number one when you yield to it. I mean, I don't think you have a problem with uh, mistreating pets. That's probably way down the line. You see what I'm saying? But this one here, it's right there. It, you know, if God is first and you just look on the other side of Jesus and you're going to see sexual morality going, hey man, I'm right here, just waiting for it to be a blink, then I can be first. I said, and what you're going to learn is if you do God's will, how to deal with first, all of a sudden, sexual morality is no longer a problem. He gets married, sexual morality is no longer a problem. I said, guess what happens though? In that big long line of competitors, 
they all go like this. As soon as one gets defeated, shunk, shunk, they move up one. And, get, and I said, what's the next one? And he goes, I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, think about it. Get back with me. He goes, a couple weeks goes, I found out what it is. What? Money. It's money. I can't believe it. I said, yeah. And once you devote your money and you get and you be generous, guess what's going to happen? All of them are going to go, shunk, shunk, and come up again. There's always going to be competitors in your life. What's competing? What's competing? How do you eliminate competition? I'll say it this way. When you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, there's very little room for anything else to love. When you love God with all your soul, all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, there's no love left for anything else. You say, well, what about my family? What about my kids? What about... God gives you that love, the proper kind of love toward all that and all your things. But you've got to love God the most. Or an idol creep in. I've left a little heart on your notes there. I got this idea from a guy that talked about, he said, list your idols. I just want you to ask yourself, what are the three top competitors for my love for the Lord? What are the three top competitors? What could they be? I don't know. I'll tell you what, in my life, pleasing people would be in that. Um, I, that's what I'd be writing. I want to please people. Um, let's see. Selfishness, that's too generic. I want, I want my way in my life. I want to do it my way. I don't want to cooperate with people. I've learned the last five years... I can't do everything. And you know, when you start realizing that, you kind of resign from being CEO of everything and of your life. I need people. Ooh, pride. That's probably what I should write. Pride. It shows up. What would you put? Is there a person you'd put? Would you put your own name there? I I, I tend to think of myself too much. Is it money? What are the top three competitors? I don't care. Listen, I say I don't. I really, I could care less about four, five, six, seven, eight. They're two down far. I don't think about those. I think about my number, the number two thing and the number three thing. What are the competitors? Because they're jockeying for position, folks. They're trying to get a foothold in your life. Because once they get a foothold and they can become important enough, you'll back off of Christ. You'll change your schedule. First thing you'll do is you'll adjust your schedule and God will get Get the leftovers. First thing you'll do is you'll go, well, I deserve to be happy and this doesn't make me... Pleasing God doesn't please me, so I'm going to choose pleasing me. See how it distorts truth? You aren't, you aren't able to live what God, the way God wants you to. So what are they? I want you to think about that. And if you can't fill it out right now, then I understand. But I hope you have the nerve, the courage, the faith. What are they? And identify the competitors. Because God needs to be first. You have a card in your bulletin, and it's a simple card of, of, of response. We don't have people coming down the aisle, you know. We, you respond right where you are. We've believed this for years. And so, you know, maybe you want to write something down like, you know, this is an idol. You write it confidential if you need to. This is an idol. I've got to kill it. I need help killing it. Or this has become an idol, and I've decided I'm going to make I'm going to take some action, serious action steps to make this a tool in God's hand rather than letting it push me around and 
becoming the most important thing. Maybe you just want to ask God, I want to, I want you to be the most important. I want all my love. What part of, what part of your heart are you holding back from God this morning? Give you the opportunity to write on that card if you like. We're going to sing a song. Of course, after I pray, we'll sing a song while you do, you know, and uh, while you do that, and then uh, we'll sing another song and collect all those cards along with our weekly contribution. God bless you. I want to encourage you to be here next week because if you want to learn some stuff about prayer, here's an opportunity. Okay? So let's stop here and, and let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, I just thank you for putting us first. I think about how your great love, you, you say somewhere, greater love has no one than to lay his life down for his friends. And Father, you put us first. We were on your mind on the cross. You put us first above Your Son. And Father, we pray that, we pray, Father, that, that You'll help us grow in our devotion towards You. Father, is there, is there an idol that Your Holy Spirit's trying to reveal? Would You reveal it in our heart? Father, help us, help us, give us the courage to make hard decisions sometimes and just get rid of it. Because we know we can't negotiate with these idols. Father, there's something that you've created that you've designed to bless us, but we've gotten selfish with it. Would you help dedicate it to you? So it doesn't have such a grip on us. And Father, we pray that our love will be so clear, so crystal clear, that nobody wonders. Kind of like we can, we could put our hand in the air and point to a ring, so to speak, and say, oh, we're already taken. And the Lord has taken our hearts. Father, help us identify these idols. Help us not let this lesson just be something that motivates us to think about it and do nothing. Father, thank You for Greg being here this morning. Father, thank You for taking care of him, Lord. It's really awesome. And Father, we pray that those that are traveling today, those that are out vacationing this week, that You'll protect them as well and bring them back safely. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.